0: hello and welcome back to the chronicles of aguna the arsenal podcast part of the 90 min network currently brought to you by our good friends Over at Athletic Greens. As ever, I'm your host Harry Simeon and on this edition we're going to be reviewing the weekend's Premier League action. We're also going to be discussing the sacking of Rafa Benitez, a manager that many Arsenal fans wanted to see come in to the club when Mikel Arteta was up against the ropes. So we're going to be discussing all of that and as I say running through the weekend's Premier League action. Of course, Arsenal not involved uh, this weekend because of the fact that the north london derby between ourselves and tottenham Hotspur was postponed and that seems to have boiled a lot of piss uh in the uh in the football world so uh we'll touch on that briefly but we talked about it at length on our members podcast uh, which came out on audio platforms this morning and was streamed live on this very youtube channel yesterday my big big thanks uh to Uh, to Trev and of course uh, to Chris who all join me for that and if you want your opportunity to come on the platform on this new weekly show that we're going to be doing where I'll be bringing in members of the Chronicles of Aguna channel to discuss the key topics with me and and discuss basically whatever we want uh, then please do check out our membership proposition below. Uh, The link is in the description and you can uh, have a look into that if you so wish. Um, Right, Lots to get through this weekend, as there always is in the Premier League, despite Arsenal not playing. And actually, when you look at some of the results that occurred with regards to some of the teams in and around the same positions as us and that we're in contention with, I think you can actually say it was a pretty decent weekend for Arsenal, despite not playing. Um, Let's kick off, though, with the game that took place on Friday night. And that was the game between Brighton and Crystal Palace. Now, this is a weird one, right? Now, I, as many of you will know, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Crystal Palace, okay? Um, I don't support them. They're not my second team. I hate when people say they've got a second team. But I was I I was born and lived very, very close to Crystal Palace's ground when I was a little kid. So for me, um, one of the first games I actually attended when my dad was busy working and couldn't take me, was with a friend and his dad who were Crystal Palace fans. So I got to go to Selhurst Park at a really young age. And although my heart always belonged to the Arsenal, um, and I'm sure you've heard this story before, Crystal Palace are a team whose results I always look out for, apart from, of course, when they're playing against us. Um, But they've got this weird rivalry with Brighton. And when you think about why that is a rivalry, it's really kind of difficult to kind of... um, to to put your finger on exactly what the situation is here. Now, I've been told before that it's a rivalry that goes uh, a little while back. It was uh, to do with some kind of, you know, bad blood between a Brighton and Crystal Palace manager at the time. And obviously, since then, it's become a bit of a thing. Now, they're not a million miles away from each other, these clubs, but they are 41 miles apart. So it's really difficult to get your head around this one being the fierce rivalry that these two groups of supporters see it as. Some people call it the M23 Derby, uh, referencing the motorway that links Crystal Palace to Brighton. But yeah, um, strange strange rivalry, but it is a fierce rivalry. There's no doubt about that. And you only had to watch the scenes uh, from the Amex Stadium on Friday night to understand exactly how fierce this rivalry is. When goals were going in, you could see the reaction. You could see how... Um, how people felt about it. You could see the passion, you could see the fight, you could see the desire. And obviously, add to the fact that Patrick Vieira is the Crystal Palace manager, then of course, uh, I'm going to be more invested in the Crystal Palace side of this uh, than anything else. But Palace took the lead on 69 minutes through Connor Gallagher after uh, Brighton were awarded a penalty, which they missed Pascal Gross with an awful penalty if you haven't seen it check it out. And then, of course, Neil Mopai had a goal ruled out in the first period. But as I say, Conor Gallagher stepped up 69 minutes, ran about 20 minutes from time and put the ball in the back of the net. And I think a lot of Palace fans felt as though at that point uh, they they were going to go on and win it. And unfortunately for them, uh, they were unable to keep that clean sheet. Joachim Anderson turning the ball into his own net just three minutes before full time must have been extremely frustrating. For Crystal Palace and Patrick Vieira. Although you have to say, since joining the club, he's done a very, very good job at the back there, Anderson. And it was just a blip, you know. But Palace come away uh, with a point. I think they'll be pretty pleased with that, although they won't say it loudly. I think when you're in a position of, of, of the lead when you're going into the last 20 minutes of a game, you'll feel like you should have won it. But of course, uh, a draw away against Brighton, who have been largely impressive this season, I think is a decent result for Patrick Vieira. And it's another result that kind of further highlights in evidences the progress that they're showing under him. So um, yeah, they might not say it loudly because of the rivalry, but for sure, that is... Um, a result that I think Crystal Palace will be at least content with. Moving on to Saturday's action, the big headline game was that game between Manchester City and Chelsea at the Etihad. Now Manchester City have been in imperious form of late and people have really really kind of you know I think now kind of come or become aware as to how good this Man City side is because for years they've shown themselves to be really really strong and and obviously in recent years Liverpool have uh, largely kept the pace with them. Um, you know, with with the exception of last season. And people were kind of like, well, you know, they're good, but are they that good? Well, I think now it's safe to say, and, and they will go on and win the Premier League this season, that this Manchester City side is up there with the very best Premier League teams we've ever seen. Uh, they just seem to go on these incredibly long and prosperous runs around the Christmas period when everybody else's squads are, 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 are sort of wearing thin and are struggling and, are, you know, really finding it difficult to cope with the fixture pileup. You just look at Manchester City and they always seem to find a way of sort of ploughing through it. Um, And with very little room, with very little in terms of errors. Manchester City are winning games by the odd goal nowadays as well, which is something that they were maybe accused of not doing before. Um, It was always Manchester City had to click into full gear, otherwise they weren't going to win a game. Well, what you're seeing now is, I think you're seeing more defensive solidarity. I think you're seeing a more um, adaptable approach. Uh, You're seeing Pep Guardiola, I think, get it right more often than not tactically when coming up against strong opponents such as Chelsea and then relying, as you would, if you had that sort of squad on the quality of the likes of Kevin De Bruyne to win you the game. And De Bruyne's goal was sensational. He receives the ball in the half turn and he drives towards the penalty area. And for me, as an Arsenal fan who grew up watching the club, in the mid to late 90s that goal from Kevin De Bruyne and I don't know what you think it reminded me of Dennis Bergkamp the way he kind of sets the ball out to his right glances up spots the goalkeeper's position and understands that there's um you know there's a gap in that corner but with very little backlift manages to just guide the ball uh, into that corner and it was inch perfect and I think that that yeah I think it was fantastic brilliant goal from De Bruyne who I rate incredibly highly I don't know about you guys don't know about you Arsenal fans but for me that reminded me of a peak Dennis Burkamp goal which is maybe why I enjoyed it so much. Um moving on uh, there was a big game in the Premier League at 3pm on Saturday between Newcastle United and Watford remember Newcastle United going big in the transfer market Kieran Trippier has come in as has Chris Wood um a player that was brought in for big money and people were kind of asking questions weren't they about that price tag, £25 million, how much of that was because Newcastle feel he's worth it? And how much of it was because they felt it was worth taking him away from Burnley? I, I genuinely do think that that was a factor uh, in, in their decision to meet that release clause for Chris Wood. But Chris Wood, I don't think, did an awful lot. It was Alan Maximano, a familiar hero, um, who popped up with Newcastle's goal just after the uh, halftime break. And what a goal it was. But as frustrating um, as it may be for Newcastle, they shouldn't be surprised to see that they conceded a goal late on. Uh, Jao Pedro with a really, really good header uh, to level the score in just three minutes before full time. And I think Claudio Ranieri's reaction to that told you all you need to know uh, about how much he valued that goal. Newcastle, every time you feel like they're going to sort of put a run together and start to get out of the shit like they threatened to do against a relegation rival on the weekend. They have a lapse defensively and then they were punished. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they're in a they're in serious danger now off the back of that. That was a six-pointer. It really, really was. And in the end, the draw is not that much good for either of those two sides. Although I think Watford will see it uh, as a better result, given they were away from home and given they came from behind in the circumstances they did. But look, Newcastle are in serious danger. We'll come on to look at the table at the end of the show, but um, there's lots of reason to be concerned. Norwich City picked up a victory. They beat Everton by two goals to one at Carrow Road. It was a Michael Keane own goal that put the Canaries in front. Between before Adam Eder popped up just two minutes later to double their lead. Richarlison pulled the goal back on the hour mark with an acrobatic finish, but unfortunately uh, for Rafa Benitez, that wasn't enough, and as a result. The Spaniard has been sacked by Everton Football Club. Now, I do want to kind of, um, I, I do want to kind of just touch on um, the Rafa Benitez sacking because for me, this is, this is, this further shines the light on the problem at Everton and behind the scenes at Everton more so, I think, than it shines a light on Rafa Benitez as a manager. Now, Rafa Benitez has proven throughout his managerial career that he's a very good manager. There's no doubt about that. He's a, he's won league titles. He's won European trophies. Um, you know, he's done good jobs pretty much everywhere he's been. Newcastle fans, even though that wasn't the most glamorous of jobs he's had and he was at one stage working in the Championship and then brought them back into the Premier League, Newcastle fans hold him in extremely high esteem. Because not only does he often get results and, and you know, work a team very, very well, he he's always very honest and, and very good, I think, at um, sort of getting fans on his side and getting the board on his side. And if he feels like the board are not quite helping him as much as he wants then he will call him out and he's very good at playing that whole game around managing the fan and player relationship and fan and club relationship and using that to his advantage but i think with everton what you've got here is you've got a side who are suffering from overspending on bang average players not just last year not just the year before that but actually for the last five or so years now i read a stat on twitter and I, and i haven't gone back to check this out but off the top of my head, it feels pretty accurate. Uh, I read that they've spent close to £500 million pounds on on players in the last five five summers, in the last five years. That's mad money. That's crazy money. To think that Everton are shelling out that kind of money every single year and seeing very little in terms of returns and results, um, I think, as I said, is more telling about the state of the club behind the scenes as opposed to the manager. Rafa isn't at his best and I agree with Jack here in the comments where he says Rafa is washed now he's been poor for a good while he was bang average at Newcastle I I, I don't think I think you're being a bit harsh that he was bang average I think he worked under difficult circumstances at Newcastle but where I do agree with you Jack to a degree is that he's not at his best anymore and maybe the game's moved on a little bit and he's been left a bit behind but when you think that people like Ronald Koeman have been there, who I think have, have proven again themselves to be not the very elite in terms of managers, but managers of a very good level. When you think that Carlo Ancelotti was there, and even with Carlo Ancelotti, with all the titles and all the honours that he's got behind him, he couldn't quite uh, fulfil Everton's expectations. Obviously, he left the club to join Real Madrid, but during his time at Everton, there were moments where you looked and you went, yeah. um, you know, he's doing okay. And there were other moments where he thought, well, this is not really working. And then you go and get Rafa Benitez. All three of those guys are very accomplished managers in their own right. And I think when three of them struggle to achieve what it is that the club are after, or or at least say they're after, then I think you need to start asking questions about what is going on behind the scenes. Any club, with all due respect to Alex Iwobi, that pays that sort of money for Alex Iwobi has got a serious issue behind the scenes. And I think, as I said, when you look at that group of players and you look at that squad, it's it's very average. I think it's very poor. A lot of people have, have said that, no, you know, they're much better than what their league position suggests. Obviously, 16th place is not where Everton should be. But outside of Luca Dean, who obviously they've allowed to go in this transfer window, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who, of course, is unavailable at the moment or has been unavailable for a while, And Richarlison, there's not a single player in that squad I look at and go, yeah, you know what? I'll take him at Arsenal. And that is damning. That is a damning indictment of where that club are at, that they've spent £500 million or at least close to it over the last five seasons. And they literally have two assets remaining at their football club. I think that's a real, as I say, damning indictment of the way Everton Football Club has been run. And then you hear that they're going to go and pinch Roberto Martinez or that he's at the top of the list and they're trying to bring the Spaniard back in. Now, he currently manages Belgium. And actually, Roberto Martinez is where this whole Everton cycle of chopping and changing, in my opinion, overrated managers began. So you're going to go back to that? You know, if you you look at what Everton's problem is, I think it's a holistic problem. And I think that there needs to be they need to bring in a project manager. Uh, Graham Potter's been mentioned. It's understood that he's not interested in the job, but Graham Potter is, is the right fit in terms of the, the, the type of manager that I believe Everton should be looking at. They need someone who's going to come in and take control of the recruitment, take control of, of how the academies run, take control of all different elements, and then the ownership need to step back. You know, ownership need to sometimes accept and understand. And I think this is the case of a lot of clubs that they're not football experts. They might be business experts, which is why they are where they are and why they're in a position where they can afford to buy these big football clubs. But they're not business people. Uh, sorry, they're not football people. And I think that Everton have interfered too much um, with, uh, w- with the managers and, and interfered too much. It's all good throwing money at things. But if you throw money and, and you waste it, then you might as well burn it. You know, it's honestly, it's it's that bad. They've pissed away, excuse my language, big amounts of money. Um, and and they've got absolutely nothing to show for it. So, yeah, I would be trying to get Graham Potter in. But I'm sure somebody like Graham Potter, who, by the way, has uh, reportedly ruled himself out of it and, and said he's not interested in talks. I think somebody like Graham Potter will will want certain assurances that I just don't think this Everton... Board, unless they're going to change dramatically, unless they've had a bit of an epiphany, um, are are going to promise him. And and that's the issue here. It's a bit of a poison chalice at the moment, the Everton job. Uh, Duncan Ferguson taking charge for the time being. And of course, if you remember back when he took uh, temporary charge previously, they did have a little bit of a a bounce. He's a great character, Duncan Ferguson. I love Duncan Ferguson, but has he got the credentials to take Everton onto the next level? I don't think so. They're hovering dangerously above the relegation zone. So big issues there. And of course, the big story, Rafa Benitez sacked off the back of that defeat at Norwich. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, quietly went about their business again with a 3-1 victory over Southampton. Raul Jiménez... From the spot, Connor Cody with a goal and Adama Traore uh, getting his goal in quite a while, actually, uh, made sure that they sealed the points. But I'll tell you what, the real standout moment and highlight from this game was James Ward Prowse's free kick. If you haven't seen it, please do check it out. I mean, James Ward Prowse has is, is almost become the Premier League free kick specialist. In fact, he is the Premier League's free kick specialist. And, and what he's become almost famed for is this almost David Beckham style uh, position myself to the, the the left of the ball and sort of whip it back across the goal and, and catch the keeper by surprise on the wall side. He normally does that so well. But this was a completely different technique from James Will prowse and it's why it impressed me so much. Um, it had drive on it. It had movement on it. It's just an unstoppable free kick. And he deserves uh, tons of praise for that. For me right now, he's the best dead ball specialist in the premier league and when you take that into consideration that i'm rating him that highly this might sound like a wild shout but i think he's up there at least in the top three free kick takers in world football doesn't mean he's in the top three players let me just make that clear but he's in the top three when it comes to free kicks i genuinely believe that and if anybody disagrees with that feel free in the chat box let me know who you think um who you think is um who you think is better, who you think is currently above James Ward-Prowse in that particular department? Because I think there are very, very few, I've got to be honest. Uh, Moving on from that one. So Wolves keeping up the pace and uh, keeping their eyes on a European place as they continue their impressive form overall under Bruno Large. But the 5.30 game on Saturday was the game between Aston Villa and Manchester United. And Manchester United have really struggled to show, I think, enough progress under Ralph Ranick to almost justify the sacking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, you know, it goes to show that a lot of these players were not pulling their weight and they continue to f- struggle uh, to deliver on a regular basis, no matter who the manager is. Ranić brought different ideas, a different philosophy. He's struggling to get that across at the moment, I feel. Um, although there was a period in this game where Manchester United looked probably as cohesive um, as they have looked throughout the season. Um, but they collapsed. They capitulated. And once Jacob Ramsey pulled a goal back for Aston Villa um, on 77 minutes, it looked like Villa were... Uh, well, it always felt like Villa had a really good chance of of bringing the game back level. And guess who it was? It was the former Liverpool uh, and Barcelona star Felipe Coutinho, Villa's latest acquisition, who came off the bench and scored. Look, he'll score harder goals than that in his career, Felipe Coutinho. But um, a brilliant start to... Um, to his career back in the Premier League uh, and at Aston Villa. So, um, uh, look, I'm not a massive Aston Villa fan, obviously. Um, I I'm not going to go into that now, um, but I think when it's against Man United, you can you can accept it, you could take it, and you can actually be quite pleased for them. So, fair play uh, to Aston Villa uh, and Felipe Coutinho, as well as Jacob Ramsey, who really kind of um, almost. Uh, instigated the comeback with a, a really cool, smart finish uh, to pull it back to 2-1. I think you have to give Villa credit for fighting back. And, and I think Steven Gerrard is is doing a really, really good job there. And I, I'm starting to rate Steven Gerrard as a manager. You know, I, I did rate him during his time at Rangers. Um, but there's always that part of you, isn't there, that goes, well, it's Rangers, it's the Scottish Premiership. And with all due respect, it's not the same standard. And will he be able to replicate that in the Premier League where, you know, the advantage of Aston Villa over some of the other clubs is not as big as the advantage that Rangers have in terms of their power in comparison to some of the SPL clubs. Uh, Liverpool got to a 3-0 win over Brentford. Now, I didn't see this game, I've got to be honest, but from watching the highlights and from what a lot of people have told me, Liverpool weren't great but were functional and got over the line, which is what you'd expect from Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. You know, When they're not at full tilt, they seem to get results and it's why They've been right at the top of the table in recent seasons and they moved up into second uh, with a, with this result. So, um, yeah, good 3-0 win on paper. Maybe not the greatest Liverpool performance, but as I say, when you manage to grind it out, I don't think it's one that people would dwell on uh, for too long. And then, of course, the final game was uh, the Sunday afternoon game between West Ham United And Leeds United. Now, I did watch this one, of course, with interest because West Ham United are a side in and around us uh, who we are competing with, I believe, for a European spot. And so it was great to see that on a weekend where Arsenal weren't playing, not only had Manchester United drop points, but uh, West Ham United had two. And Leeds took the lead. Star of the show was was Jack Harrison. He managed a hat-trick on the day. Uh, Jared Bowen, equalised just after the half an hour mark and Leeds responded immediately by going 2-1 up. Uh, Pablo Fornell levelled it in the second half before Jack Harrison added a third and Leeds had a fourth ruled out for offside, which it did come off. I think it was uh, Rodrigo who was on the line. It was going in anyway, but I I understand that the rule's the rule and and they had to do what they're going to do. But I think a lot of people saw this as a shock and were looking at West Ham and going, well, West Ham defensively under par, not what you expect from a David Moyes side. But I actually think the credit needs to go to Leeds here more than the criticism needs to go to West Ham United because to be pegged back twice when you're low on confidence as it is and your squad is so threadbare, I think you you need to give them praise and credit. You know, a lot of people have questioned whether uh, Marcelo Bielsa is the reason that Leeds have fallen off the wagon a little bit this season, Um, whether... uh, you know, his training methods are what is contributing to this, uh, you know, flurry of injuries that they're having. I just think that Marcelo Bielsa, he's got his ways and is it more physically demanding than some what some other coaches expect? Yes. But I think he's, he's had to deal with some really rotten luck and he's never complained about it. He's just got on with it. And I think Marcelo Bielsa deserves a lot of praise for that. People talk about him being overhyped for what he is and, and like people being obsessed with his philosophy. I think his morals are good as well. If you remember um, when Leeds played Derby, Marcelo Bielsa uh, allowed a goal to go in, didn't he? Because he was uh, he was upset uh, that his team were going to be accused of being cheats. Was it no? Who was it against? Might have been against Villa. Um, I can't remember anyway, off the top of my head. But there was a goal. Villa went and uh, Leeds went and scored down one, and the other team were complain. I think it was Villa. And he allowed them to go and score down the other. And he told his players to just allow them to score, to level it up and we could continue the game. So I think Marcelo Bielsa's morals are, are right up there. And, and I think that's why he doesn't feel that complaining is, is the right way forward. But fair play to him. Um, you know, he's he's stuck to his guns. They've got a result and it's a result that actually, in the grand scheme of things, means quite a bit for this leeds united side if we have a look at the premier league table uh from this uh off the back of this latest round of fixtures um leeds united are currently in 15th place but they've got a huge huge nine point gap between themselves and norwich city who have played a game more than them um who sit in 18th place on 13 points so they're just starting to open up that little gap which uh hopefully for them Uh, means that they'll be safe and survive uh, the drop this season. If we move further up the table, Aston Villa, uh, despite pulling off uh, a decent result against Manchester United, well, they've had a couple of defeats in recent weeks. In fact, prior to the Man United game, they'd lost three of their last four, which is why they're down in 13th position. Southampton still maintaining a good cushion between themselves and the drop zone, despite the fact that they were beaten at Wolves this weekend. But if we take it further up, Wolverhampton Wanderers are in eighth place, but they're only two points behind Spurs. They're only four points behind us. Wolverhampton Wanderers are having a really, really good season under Bruno Large. Manchester United missed the opportunity uh, to move above Tottenham Hotspur this weekend and to within a point of Arsenal when they drop points. West Ham United missed the opportunity to close the gap on West Ham. Uh, Sorry, West Ham United, I I should say, missed the opportunity to close the gap on Chelsea and uh, increase the gap over Arsenal. So that concludes our roundup of this weekend's Premier League action. Of course, the big story, Rafa Benitez sacked as Everton manager after their defeat at Norwich City. Right, any questions, any thoughts, anything you want to discuss, anything you want to chat about, get it in the chat box now for the last sort of 15 minutes of the stream. I'll be taking your questions and thoughts from the chat box. If you are listening via our audio platforms, I'm just going to take a short pause and let you hear a message from our sponsor. Welcome back to part two of the Chronicles of Aguna's Premier League Roundup. Uh, Of course, the big story is Rafa Benitez sacked as Everton boss after their latest defeat at Norwich City. West Ham dropping points, Manchester United dropping points. And despite Arsenal not playing, a pretty good weekend for Mikel Arteta's Gunners. Right, let's get some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts in the live chat. I'd love to um, hear from you guys and see what you guys have to say. If you haven't checked it out already, uh, please do check out our members podcast. It was the first edition yesterday where we brought on some of the Chronicles of Aguna channel members to discuss all the big stories around Arsenal at the moment. It was great fun. The conversation went off on about 57 different tangents, but that's what it's all about. Uh, So thank you uh, to those of you who have tuned in already and to those of you who will and for your opportunity to appear on our members podcast. All you need to do is sign up and become a member of the channel at any tier and join our Discord server. Uh, and that way you'll be in with a shout of coming on. And we are going to rotate it week on week and get as many different voices as we can on as possible. I also want to say a big happy birthday uh, to one of our most dedicated, loyal members. who has been there right from the very start um, and is a pillar of the Chronicles of Aguna community. I want to say a massive happy birthday uh, to Wes Bird. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much for all your support. I hope you have a great day. I hope you get spoiled and uh look forward to seeing you uh, back in the chat, uh, when the celebrations are over, but thank you for all your support. It is very, very much appreciated and I hope you have a great day. Right. Let's see, uh, what else have we got? Um, let's take some of your thoughts, some of your questions at uh, John Daly says, would you be happy? if we didn't make a signing in midfield. I don't want us to just sign anyone for the sake of it. Look, the thing is, for me, John, is when we were talking about the transfer window that we had last summer, I was adamant that, for me, although we'd done a lot of good business, that we'd missed the trick in not bringing in an additional midfielder. So I think it's been a need and a problem for us for a while. It's a problem that, fortunately... We haven't had to deal with too much prior to the AFCON because, OK, Xhaka was injured, but Maitland-Niles, Conga were, were both fit. Um, obviously, Maitland-Niles has since departed the club. And I think what we've done in terms of outgoings has only increased the need to bring in a midfielder more so. I understand the, the idea of not signing someone that we don't see as a long-term and permanent fixture in the team or someone that we don't see as part of the plan moving forward. But I would be livid if we missed out on our targets and objectives this season because we failed to bring in a midfielder when necessary. I think a low move is a smart move. Um, It normally means that you can get a player of a higher quality with very little investment. Um, And I think Arsenal, or we know Arsenal are working hard behind the scenes to thrash out a deal with Juve for our tour. As is notorious with the January transfer window, deals tend to get done towards the back end of it. So I'm still hopeful we can get something done. But I think if we don't bring in a midfielder, we could potentially pay for it later down the line. So I'm desperate to see Arsenal, um, you know, Arsenal do something, of that sort of business. Um, A few of you asking me about the story about DT um, from AFTV, asking my thoughts on it. I, I don't, I haven't read the story yet. Um, I'll check it out, but I haven't read the story, so I, I don't have an opinion on it. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Palash Rawat says Romero versus Ben White. Settle the debate, Harry, from Serie A memories. Easy. Guna over Spud any day of the week. Ben White, of course. Uh, BS Rugby says, who next for Everton? Personally, I would go with Duncan Fergus until the end of the season and then see who is available. Thoughts, Harry? I think Everton are in this shit position now where they're in a place where they've kind of drifted into the relegation fight a little bit. If you just have a look at the table again, if I just take it down to the bottom, there's only six points between Everton and Norwich City. Now, I know Everton have got a couple of games in hand and things could look very, very different uh, if they were to win those games. But it's almost like, do you trust Duncan Ferguson and his credentials that if you do somehow continue in this bad run and you end up in the relegation battle, that he has, um, that he has what it takes to to get them out of it. It's a massive gamble to take, I think, uh, as a football club. But look, Duncan will go in there in the short term in the Interim. I think he would have liked to have had the job the last time around. But I think if Everton want to play this, we're moving in the right direction. We're a big club thing. Then I think. Um, you know, then it would kind of go against that, wouldn't it? It would go against that narrative. It would go against that uh, sort of ethos if they were to appoint Duncan Ferguson, who doesn't have the experience necessarily to take him forward. As I said a little bit earlier on, mate, I think they need a project manager. I think they need someone who's going to come in and take over um, a variety of aspects behind the scenes and, and or not be hands-on in every department because that's difficult to do, but to at least have an input and a say in recruitment in the development, in making sure that they play in a certain way, embedding a philosophy right throughout the club. It's it's interesting to me, you know, people are talking about Wayne Rooney and I, I don't think that's the right move either. I think Wayne Rooney is still learning, he's still developing, doing a fantastic job at Derby, but, um, you know, let him learn his lessons at Derby. Let him learn his lessons in the Championship. That's how I look at that. Roberto Martinez, who I mentioned earlier, not a manager I've ever particularly rated, if I'm honest, I've always thought... The hype that follows Roberto Martinez has been disproportionate to what he's shown uh, as a football manager. Um, You know, it's it's a difficult one. I think if I were Everton, I'd want somebody of the ilk and making of Graham Potter. But Graham Potter, as I say, has indicated that he's not interested in the job. And therefore, how do you how do you make him? Want to be on board with this? The only way you make him, because there's no doubt about it, Everton are a much bigger club than Brighton. The only way you do that is by giving him certain guarantees. And I don't think that this Everton board or the club are are in a position where they're willing to give up that much control to someone. Just seen on Sky Sports News as well um, that Rudy Garcia is another option. Reading now that Roberto Martinez is interested in the position, but not before the World Cup, which doesn't solve Everton's problem for now, but I think they need to think long and hard about this. But they the lesson to be learned here is not about um, it's not about appointing good managers. They've done that and it just doesn't work. The lesson to be learned here is that something is fundamentally broken behind the scenes at Everton and something in their operating model is just broken. Um, and that is more important than who they appoint because actually on paper, they've always appointed pretty good managers. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Ikram Khan says thoughts on Fabrizio Romano saying Vlavic should go to Spurs. I haven't seen that, but if he has, he might've been drinking. Who knows? <laughs> uh, John Daly says removing your arsenal hat. Do you think Ben White would be first named in the England center back spot? Um, is Ramsdale England's number one. I think in, on for me is England's number one. Um, and I think white will certainly become a, a permanent fixture in that England team at one point or another. Um, it's just, uh, it's just inevitable. Uh, Don Juan says, a "Question: Thoughts on Liverpool? I can see their decline coming in a few years. Look, Liverpool have been on a wonderful journey under Jurgen Klopp. I've said this time and time again. Um, you know, they they really have, and they've achieved wonderful things. But what what I always think is so telling about the nature of the Premier League right now is that this Liverpool side have been right up there, yet." They've won the Premier League title once. Now, I'm not saying that's to be sniffed at. They've won the Premier League title once and the Champions League once under Jurgen Klopp. What I am saying is that there's a good chance Liverpool don't win the Premier League title again under Jurgen Klopp. And in history, we'll look back and we'll say, yeah, this was a really good Liverpool side. But the history books won't reflect how good they were because of the fact that they'll only probably have one Premier League title to their name during that period. And that just shows you how difficult it is to deal with the likes of Chelsea, of, of uh, Manchester City who are just money bags. Um, you know, so I think Liverpool, yeah, I, I don't, I think they've peaked. I think the winning the Premier League title, winning the Champions League is is the highest level. They'll need a rebuild again. And I don't know if after five, six years at the club or however long it's been, Jurgen Klopp will have the stomach and the appetite to do that again, or if he will decide that it's now time to move on. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly think they've hit that peak, but that's not to dig them out. I mean, they've gone, to incredible levels and and fair play to them. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Jack Burgess says Unai Emery for Everton. I I wouldn't be surprised if they considered Unai Emery. And I always feel like Unai Emery is is perfectly suited to that level of club, a club where there is expectation to be better than what they currently are. But there isn't that expectation to challenge for the game's biggest honours all the time. So, yeah, uh, I don't think that would be the worst shout in the world. Right. I think we are going to leave it there. But before we do that, I just want to check in uh, where we are in terms of likes. Look, there's over 250 of you watching us live now across the multiple platforms, but there's only 63 likes on the board. Let's get that up to as close to 100. In fact, there's no excuse for us not getting to 100 um, before the outro plays. Please do hit that like button. Please do subscribe to the channel if you are new. Check out our sponsors in the in the. Uh, description, Athletic Greens. Uh, So yeah, please do get involved, support the channel if you support Athletic Greens. You're supporting me and the Chronicles of Aguna. I'll be back later on today where I'll be joined by Dan Potts at 5pm for our Transfer Daily Show. We'll be talking about some of these rumours and getting Dan's thoughts on some of the players that we're being linked with. I'm sure you're sick of hearing from me. Uh, So looking forward to welcoming on another guest. I'll be uh, talking to him about Rafa Benitez as well manager he's very fond of. Uh, There's lots to unpack there. Lots of back and forth, I'm sure, as always, as there always is between me and Dan. Uh, But please do come over and check that out live at 5pm right here on the channel. And it'll be available in podcast format from first thing tomorrow morning. Like, subscribe, share. You know the drill. Until next time. Take care.